0: You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 88. Y'all, I was getting so many questions about food and tiny humans, and I was like, okay, we gotta find the right gal to interview, and boy, did I. I am so jazzed about this episode. Now she and I have become fast friends and probably best friends forever, I would say. She has a master's in early childhood, and I feel a little nervous to say her name because when I introduced her in this episode, I said it wrong. I'm gonna give it a whirl. Tasha Butler of The Natural Nurturer on Instagram. It's how you might know her. That's how we found her. She's got this master's in early childhood, and she writes this food blog, and she shares a lot of her personal experience with her kiddo and figuring out how to build a healthy relationship with food and also pack in all the nutrients and goodness that we're always trying to squeeze into ourselves and into kiddos without hiding it in things per se, but rather teaching kiddos about food. I really fell in love with her after this episode. We hung out for like 20 minutes just because I love her. I'm super jazzed for you guys to enjoy this one. Without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village Hey everyone, welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today we are here with another expert in the field because this is not my wheelhouse. I got so many questions about food and food related things and I was like, eee, we need to tap into some other folks. We are so lucky today and you guys are so stoked based on your comments in our Facebook group to have Taisha joining us. From the Natural Nurturer, you might know her on Instagram. Hey, how
1: are you? Hey, I'm good.
0: I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of what brings you here?
1: Sure. I'm I'm Tasha. I know my name is really. Oh my gosh. Tricky. I'm
0: sorry. No,
1: no, no. Like literally, everybody in my entire life has mispronounced my name from the first, except for my husband, which my, that's when I knew he was a keeper when he pronounced <laughs> you know, it correctly the first time I met him. So. Um, so, I'm Tayshia. Um, I am the woman behind The Natural Nurture, which is just like a, an account that I created. Oh, I created The Natural Nurture originally to just share my ideas for simplified eating um, in a busy modern life. I'm a mom. From a former teacher. Um, and, you know, I was just really, really crazy busy um, as a full time working mom trying to get food on the table for my family. And I started really finding hacks and tips and tricks for feeding them really great food and keeping my sanity at the same time. And, <laughs> and it kind of just evolved into a community of people where I could share ideas that have helped people. And now I really focus on helping. People get vegetables in in creative ways um, that is both delicious and easy and creating a healthy relationship with food or at least that's my goal.
0: I love it and I think it's so hard to do. I think so many of us as adults didn't have that and are like rewriting that programming for ourselves too.
1: I think that's something I hear a lot is like and I know I've had to do for myself is that you know redefining what you think food should look like or how you feel about it or how you approach eating is something I think. It's an ongoing journey for all of us and as adults, and we're trying to do our best by our children and not ourselves, and it's, it's, we're, all, we're all in an uncharted territory together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, I'm glad you're here with us. So when we put this out to the village, we got a whole bunch of questions, but one that I hear most commonly, I would say, amongst folks when they're reaching out is like, what do we do if I like, feed my kid dinner and they refuse it? And I think that this is, is so deep and complex because especially when we're looking at like infancy, there's such a focus on like weight gain and what's their percentile. And we're looking at numbers and we're measuring it constantly. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, it's okay if they refuse food, don't worry about it. And it's such a mindset shift that we have to make. And so I kind of want to dive in real hard off the bat and start here.
1: I think you hit the nail on the head where you said like it's a mindset shift because you're right. When they're infants, you're just like, are they gaining enough weight? Are they eating enough? Like you're recording how often they eat. And so then when they go into toddler years, it's a really big change. Um, And so, you know, the early childhood expert in me, because I taught preschool for 18 years. And oh my I, gosh, I didn't, I
0: didn't know that. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, that's what I did. That's what I did before <laughs> like the natural nurture became my full-time gig. So I have like not only a mom, but like I worked with really littles. I have my degree in it. I've done it for years. And so one thing, and so I want to make sure everyone understands, I'm not a dietitian. I am just a mom figuring this out. And I'm using what I know about early childhood growth and development to kind of plug it into what I do. And so one thing about kids is they they go through so many more, like they go through growth spurts. And so children will go through ebbs and flows of their eating. My own daughter who's eight still goes through ebbs and flows of eating. Um, if they've just finished a growth spurt, it is really common for children to kind of be like, meh, about food because their body has like gone through this incredible growth. And now it's just kind of like, okay, we got tons of reserves. We're good for a little bit. Children also go through developmental stages of like, they, their senses are way more sensitive than ours, like smells, textures, um, taste buds. Like if you think something is spicy, it's 10 times spicier to your child. If you think a texture is kind of too mushy, your child's not gonna enjoy that. And so I think having those parameters um, in mind when you're feeding your child is important to be like, okay, if they finished a growth spurt, are they like really put off by these textures or these smells or these tastes because they're too strong? But then also like, just like, you write the whole like, you know, it's okay if they don't eat. And so I think it's also important to remember that um, children are going, especially in the toddler years, are going through this independence phase where they're discovering the power of no. And in their little world, they have very little control over many things, except for when they like sleep and eat. And even sleep, they don't really have a ton of control over.
0: <laughs> Not in our seed village. We have a sleep consulting team that Really helps control that.
1: <laughs> really, I mean, eventually they're going to fall over and go to sleep, even if they're fighting it and fighting it. But absolutely, I think it's really great to um, to just remember that this is their this is their power, and to help give as much back to it as you can while still having ultimate control as a parent.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's huge. And I will often get for sleep consulting the question of like, well, are they going to wake up in the middle of the night hungry? No right like i i think largely i different again in infancy and all that jazz but when we're looking at these toddlers i actually a, a friend's daughter she's three stayed with us a couple weeks ago right before bed as like a stall tactic was like i need a snack <laughs> i think that's a lot of kids call <laughs> yeah. and i was just like we're all done eating for tonight we'll have a snack in the morning And she wasn't pleased about that answer, but in seven minutes from that answer, she was asleep for 11 and a half hours, right? Like her body didn't need a snack to function.
1: (laughs) No, no, she wanted one to avoid.
0: (laughs) Right, right. So I think like keeping that in mind too, in terms of a boundary pushing and that's our expectation.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when it comes, I get a lot of bedtime snack questions too. And I think, you know, again, going with maybe your child is genuinely hungry, but maybe not offering, like if dinner was like completely avoided, like if they served, they serve, like, I don't want any of this. My, I always tell people, well, then if they want a bedtime snack, that is their option still. If they like, you know, they didn't like anything or if you don't want to do that and everyone has their reasons why, make sure that bedtime snack is not something that's more appealing than dinner. Like don't give them ice cream for bedtime snack. Don't give them cookies or their absolute favorite food because then what they're going to learn is that if I don't eat dinner, it's cool because I'm going to get something I like better. At bedtime and so it's kind of remembering that they they are smart enough they're going to think like that
0: (laughs) totally (laughs) totally well and it's all habits and expectations absolutely yeah so that brings us into another question that we had here then was when a child refuses the prepared food So say you make dinner and they refuse everything on their plate do we ever offer another choice
1: Okay. Well, to answer that, again, I think everyone has to do their own thing. But to do that, I think you need to look at what you're serving them. Are you serving them all foods that you knew right off the bat they weren't going to like or that they've never had an experience with? And if the answer is yes, that's kind of not fair to your child because they, again, are in that control element. So what I always tell people to do is when creating dinner, I used muffin tin meals for my daughter for a long time. Have you seen my muffin tin meals?
0: Um, Not only have I seen it, almost All of my seed team is uh, were it's largely moms, and almost everyone uses them. And it was like in our Slack conversations, like, "Hey, I believe she's coming on. Just made these muffins the other day."
1: (laughs) Okay, so muffin tin meals, yeah, I love I love everything in a muffin tin. It's kind of ridiculous, but so one thing I did, and this is a really simple thing because I feel like everyone has a muffin tin laying around is I used to get a, a six compartment one and I would put in different elements of the dinner in it to serve my child. And so like, say we were having like chicken, rice, and broccoli, and I know that my daughter, my daughter loves broccoli. I'm not saying that's a normal thing for kids, but my daughter loves broccoli. Um, so I'd be like, she loves broccoli. She's kind of iffy on the rice, the chicken she's gonna eat. I know she's gonna eat those two things. I'm gonna take this opportunity to also introduce maybe olives and I know she's gonna love mangoes and I'm going to do, I don't know. I try to mix it up where there's foods that she's, I know she's going to eat, foods that she's warming up to, and maybe a new food. So she is not overwhelmed by this newness of stuff that she is like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I don't want to eat that. And so even if they don't touch the new food, even if they don't touch the one that they're still warming up to, they're looking at it. They're being exposed to it. And they are still having food that they are going to eat. So they're not leaving the table starving. Does that make sense? Oh my
0: God. Not only does it make sense, I love it. I love a couple things about it. I love that it's deconstructed, mm-hmm. which is something that like folks may have picked up on there. These foods aren't mixed all in together like we would have a casserole, right? Absolutely. And- so that kids can say, "Ooh, I'm not really a fan of chicken tonight or rice, but I am going to eat the broccoli. And some kids don't want those textures touching. We had an episode on food from a sensory perspective. We interviewed an Absolutely. OT. And so keeping in mind that sensory input mm-hmm. uh, for kiddos or the deconstructed meals I love. Uh, a follow-up question. When, say, she eats all the broccoli and is like, doesn't touch anything else, mom, can I have more broccoli?
1: See, my, my rule of thumb is yes, you can have it. Like I'm in control of what's being served for dinner. And so if she wants seconds of something else, I will give her that because that's what's on the menu. Um, and again, like I know some people are like, nope, you got to eat the rest of this that's on the plate before you can have more broccoli. Um, Again, I'm like, I'm making the calls and what's on what's the, on the dinner table, she can make the call on what she eats and how much of it. So that's just my approach to it right there. Because again, I don't want her to, I don't want this to be a negative relationship with her food. I don't want dinner time to become a battle in our family for our family situation. And I just don't want those negative vibes around food um, for her growing up in.
0: Yeah. What happens if she forever, we get this a lot with either like veggies or protein or whatever. People are like, okay, but my kid's never choosing the protein. And when I look back at what they've eaten, today and yesterday and the day before, I feel like they've had almost no protein. Like what do I do here?
1: Well, I think that when it comes, okay, so protein, I get that one in vegetables, I get a lot, which is kind of where my whole like veggie loaded approach came from is because it's like, okay, like my kid consistently, and I'm thinking from experience, Alice consistently does not want zucchini. Zucchini is not her jam, but she will. She has learned that she doesn't enjoy it in meatballs, in a smoothie. I can put it in muffins, which I know sounds crazy, but it works. And she's learned, okay, I don't like zucchini sauteed, but I do like it this way. And so sometimes it takes helping your child find a way that they do enjoy that. Maybe if it's protein, making a really protein-rich pancake for breakfast or, you know, um, adding like um, really a lot of, you know, I'm not a big fan of like protein powders, but if that's what you need to do, like add those to a smoothie so that you do feel like your child is getting enough protein, and protein is also in sources that sometimes we don't even realize, like peas are really high in protein, beans are really high in protein, um, so kind of letting go of it just being like meat is the protein source, and eggs, um, and looking at other places that they could be getting it, and then where you can bulk it up in things that they do love.
0: I love that. I I think it's really cool when you present it in a way of like, I'm teaching my daughter how to explore. So like eggplant. I don't like eggplant. Oh, right, right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like we are not the norm. Most people are like, you don't like eggplant? Get really? out of here. Yeah, that's my husband. Yeah, right
1: there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Baba ganoush.
0: Baba ganoush is delicious. Yeah, exactly. So like, uh, but this is the thing is like, I'm starting to figure out, I also, this is like blasphemous for most people, don't like sweet potatoes, but I continue to try like, I really knew it was real when I didn't like sweet potato fries. And I was like, yeah, I just don't like sweet potatoes. Think if I won't even take them fried. <laughs> yeah, totally. But we'll like try them in so many other capacities. And to figure out do I like them like this? Do I like them like this? Do I like them like that? And I love that you presented that you're doing that for your daughter too, to say, okay, maybe you don't like zucchini sauteed or whatever, but you like it in these other forms or you can consume it in these other ways. And what a cool way to be exposed to food in general, that it's not like a, oh, I don't like this thing, but I don't like this thing in this way. I am loving ready-to-eat meals in this season of life. Things are just really busy over here with a toddler and a newborn, and I don't always want to be focusing on meal planning and ordering groceries. Factors, fresh, never-frozen meals are chef-crafted and dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. There's zero prep and zero mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup involved. And Holy moly, do I need that right now. I also love that I can order as much or as little as I need by choosing my meals every week, and I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime. Factor's the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, restaurant-quality meals with no cooking required, and there are more than 60 add-ons, like pancakes and smoothies, to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Head to factormeals.com slash village50 and use code village50 to get 50% off. That's code village50 at factormeals.com slash village50 to get
2: 50% off. With spring on the horizon, but not quite here yet in Vermont, I've been looking for simple ways to give my body the energy boost it needs and keep up with healthy habits, especially on those tired mornings when I'm just feeling drained. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel more energized and ready to take on the day. It's a morning ritual that gives me peace of mind and then I'm getting comprehensive nutrition that supports my immune system and keeps me going all day. As a parent of two amazing kids, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so that I can continue to show up for the moments that matter. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm jazzed to welcome them as a new sponsor. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and 5 free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash village. That's drinkag1.com slash village. Check it out.
1: Absolutely, because I think we all as adults have preferred we have preferred ways of eating things. And sometimes it is like, no, I really don't like Sweet potatoes, as yeah. you put that example. And that's okay because you like all these other things, but you're also exploring like you tried sweet potatoes in lots of different ways to be like, nope, I don't like them as fries. Nope, I don't like them in soup. Nope, I guess I just really don't like them. Yeah. Taking that off of the menu, that's cool.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love this. All right. So, How to handle the resistance of trying new foods? Like if I put something out and I get the I just don't like it when they haven't even tried it, or do we ever force the just take a try it bite?
1: Okay, I know there are lots of different schools of thought on this one. My rule of thumb is I don't force a try it bite. Again, I am all about creating a positive relationship around food and knowing that this is an element of control for a lot of children. Forcing that is going to make them feel like it's going to put up a wall between them and that food. Like I was forced to take a bite of that sweet potato. I do not like it. I'm going to do it, but I'm mad about it. Sweet potato is my enemy, like coming at it from that point of view. And I know it's like, well, then how do you get them to like want to take a bite? Like, how do you get them? How do they know whether they not? So there's a couple of ways. One thing I always tell people to do is it is This is like a long game. This is a marathon. This is not like nobody has a secret recipe, secret bullet for making your kid love zucchini, love broccoli, love anything right off the gate. You have got to be ready to be patient and be consistent. So like just putting it on their plate and being like, you don't have to eat it, but it needs to stay on your plate. I'm not going to ask you to eat it. We're all having sweet potato at dinner. Let's just keep it on your plate. And if kids can't do that, and I know some kids like freak out about that, having it on the table, like we will do a family style serving table where like the sweet potato is going to stay on this plate off of your plate in front of you. You don't have to eat it still, but it's going to be on the table. And so inching them in, even if it's not something they're eating, they're getting exposed to it. That sweet potato won't look so funky to them next time. That sweet potato won't be so weird. And you will be amazed. Eventually they might pick it up and eat it. I love the story of the broccoli. My daughter, I told you how my daughter's favorite food, favorite vegetable is broccoli. It definitely was not always that case. I think I literally offered broccoli to that child when she was around three years old about 50 times and I was about ready to give it up. And my, um, my, we were at my friend's house and she served the girl, her daughter's roasted broccoli and put some on Alice's plate. And Alice looked at it and she's like, okay. And she just took a bite, and then it was all hands down from there. And again, she had been exposed to it like 50 times, and I was about ready to throw the towel in, but that last time, it wasn't so intimidating. It was being offered to her, she took a bite, and she loved it some other ways I always tell people to do it is to kind of like work on loving new foods away from the the dinner table books there are so many incredible books out there that really you can read to a child about trying new foods children explore the world through literacy often they see things like children um I love the book uh Sylvia Spinach it's about a little girl who hates spinach and she grows some spinach and then she eats the spinach and she learns that she loves it and the children will often will identify with that and be like Okay. So she tried it. She loved it. So like, maybe I will too. So reading books about it, um, One of my friends also, I used to do this in my classroom, if a child took a bite of a new food, I would never force them, but I would have a special bell that they could ring to kind of congratulate them on on trying a new food and being brave. We called it the bravery bell. And that was really motivating to some children too. So I think it's just, there's a whole, I got on a rampage right there. No, I
0: love it. (laughs) (laughs) You can get on your rampage all day. (laughs) (laughs) We're here for it. No, I love it. And one thing that came up for me as you were like saying that, and you were sharing these different foods that you're exposing her to and all that jazz in the U.S., I feel like we have, I mean, if you go to like a kid's meal, you're going to see a certain chunk of foods that isn't necessarily going to be on the adult's meal. And it's often missing important food groups on a kid meal that help our body function. And so I think, that as like a snapshot into how we view kid food Absolutely. i think often we can start out being like oh, i don't think that they'll like this <laughs> i won't even offer it yeah. or i don't think they'll like this till they're older i won't even offer it yeah um all that jazz and when you were explaining your like muffin tin with the examples of the mango and the broccoli and the chicken and the rice it sounds like you were putting all foods in there that you were comfortable with her asking for seconds or thirds or whatever of whatever you were putting mm-hmm. in there Absolutely, and I think it it just made me. I was like, "Oh man, I feel like that." That's a huge part of this. Of like, if you don't want them to have 18 servings of goldfish, like maybe don't put goldfish in the muffin tin.
1: Absolutely, or you know, like sometimes it's just like we're out, we're out of you ate all the goldfish, you know. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, no, I love it. Um, There's a lot of discussion around the term "healthy" right now, right? Mm -hmm. So what is healthy what isn't healthy how are we talking about food in a way that's supporting a healthy relationship with food i think so many of us especially as women don't have a healthy relationship with food where it's like a punishment oh i ate that ice cream and now i have to go for a run today right like it's often used as a punishment or a reward and i think we're just very mindful of it kind of hypersensitive Mm -hmm. to it And so in this space that we're in now, we're like, we're calling out diet culture, super, super cool things that I think are happening. Also, I think it's like, okay, so how do we talk about food to kids in a way that cultivates a relationship with food that we want them to have?
1: That is such a tricky question and I think that there are so many ways to do it Um, and I think when it comes to deciding how to talk to your own child about it you really have to follow your gut. How we handle it in our house is we never have like, we never use the word healthy or unhealthy foods, or at least I I try not to. I'm going to be honest with you. Nobody's perfect. And I think we're so programmed to say that's healthy that I do catch myself saying it. But what I try to do is like, I refer to things like ice cream and cookies and potato chips as fun food. It's food that's delicious. It is fun to have. Does it fill our body with nutrients that we can fuel on? No. Is it an everyday food? Maybe not. But it's still okay to enjoy it. Um, and I always try to be I think it's important for parents to also role model that, that, you know, if you are asking, telling your child that they shouldn't have ice cream every day, then maybe you shouldn't be having ice cream every day. But also with the same thing that if you are going to have ice cream every day, not being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go run seven miles to like to eat this off. Like not, like not talking, like, role modeling the relationship with the food that you want your child to have. Don't do, don't be the, you know, do as I say, not as I do kind of, kind of parent, because that's that's not going to work out. We all know that we all, you know, so like I, that's how I approach it with her. And then I talk. and then I also try to, kids are very, they're very perceptive. You know, if you say, you know what? we eat apples because they have lots of vitamins in it and they naturally clean our teeth when we bite into them and they give your body all these vitamins to help you stay strong and battle germs. Kids are like, oh, okay, apples rock. Okay. I'm going to have an apple. You know, they, well, some of them might not, but you know, I think just taking the time to kind of have discussions with your children about them.
0: Yeah. I love that. I worked with a preschool teacher at one point and she did this practice every day at lunch that I thought was so cool. She, it was like a gratitude practice for our food, for where it came from and for what it does for our bodies. And Love she would it. just, isn't it great?
1: That's amazing. Yeah. It was so
0: cool at lunchtime, people would, the kids would go around and this was in preschool. They were three years old. We would go around and they would share, she would start off for like, oh, I'm so grateful for these eggs and for the chickens that laid the eggs for me to be able to eat and the farmers who are taking care of the chickens meal to eat these eggs and then would go into like, and I'm so grateful for X, Y, and Z that they're providing for my body so that I can play with you on the playground later. And so I can have enough energy to do whatever it is. And then we would go around the room and she would highlight like other kids food and they would point out something they were grateful for. Like I'm grateful for my grapes. And then she would go into like, I wonder where grapes grow. And then like bring them into all the people who helped bring those grapes to them. And we talk about how we were grateful for them. And then she would go into uh, what those grapes were going to do inside their body and what we were grateful for there. Isn't it so fun?
1: That's amazing. And again, again, it's a real teachable moment for children because not only are they like finding the value in the food, but it's not just something that's like showing up in front of them. They're thinking about where did this come from? Who helped bring it here? They're, they're, you know, children are very like, In their little bubble of me my world and that's totally normal but when we give them those opportunities to think bigger and larger than themselves it's not just great for what they're eating but for their like awareness of the world around them and the processes
0: totally it's so cool and then we would see it play out Um, at one point a kid went apple picking and brought apples into the classroom Mm -hmm. and another little girl in the classroom was like I'm grateful for Elijah bringing apples into the classroom today I was like yes
1: (laughs) I love that another thing that's really great too is if you have the opportunity to have your own garden having children be part of a garden I had um, the school that I taught at we're in Southern California so this is like one thing (laughs) but um, we would have a garden that the kids could go and grow the food and then we would try it and nine times out of ten children are more likely to eat a food that they feel invested in because they're like I helped grow that Swiss chard I'm gonna try that Swiss chard we're gonna dunk it in ranch but I'm gonna try it um, because they felt like they were part of that process um, and if you don't have the option for growing it like cooking it too that makes them feel invested as well no oh, I love that yeah and then they feel grateful for myself yeah that's right <laughs> I am grateful for me for going this for growing this chard <laughs> and cooking
0: it and doing all this hard work yes absolutely <laughs> totally totally It would be really nice if we were practicing more gratitude for ourselves. Well,
1: absolutely. And, you know, that's a great thing to, you know, I was sitting like, like, oh, that's a great thing to incorporate at dinner. We do something at our dinner table. We do like the highs and the lows. We talk about like a good thing and a bad thing that happened during the day. So it opens up conversation. But I love the app being like, I'm grateful for this on my plate and grateful. I think that's a wonderful family, like ritual to have. Isn't
0: it cool? We talk in our seed village a lot about gratitude practice, as Mm. we know from a research standpoint that it's one of the key components for happiness. Absolutely. And so we talk about like when kids are coming home from school instead of how was your day asking like, what's one thing someone did that made your heart feel happy today, right? As like gratitude practice, whatever. I think this is another way to incorporate it just
1: with food.
3: All right, Alyssa. So what's the deal with this mama's getaway weekend that I've been hearing so much about?
0: Well, Maddie, it is one of my favorite weekends in the whole year and I get to hang out. With mamas from all over, we have people flying in for this bad boy. They're coming to Gloucester, Massachusetts, October 18th and 19th, although you can just do the 19th if that's better for you, and we get to hang out and dive deep into all this jazz.
3: All right, well, I did just check my calendar, and I am free that weekend. Be straight with me here. What's going on? I want to get away, but if I really want to be a better mama, shouldn't I be spending my weekends
0: with my kiddos? That's a solid question. I think that often we can get so into the routine and it can be so hard to step outside of the day to day that we can't look at the bigger picture. One of the best things that someone ever told me about running a business was how important it is to step outside of working in your business all the time to work on your business. And that's kind of how I see this too. When I ran a classroom, I would go to conferences and workshops so that I could look at the bigger picture about how I could better show up as a teacher in the classroom, and I want to give that same opportunity to parents. For mamas to be able to step outside the day-to-day and really take a bigger look and say what can I do from a systems perspective in my everyday life on the whole to better show up as a mama, as a partner, and as a person.
3: Okay, my only problem now is that I am always listening to your podcast. I'm scrolling through your Insta nonstop. I'm getting all of this content that I don't have to open up my wallet for. So really, what's going on? You want me to hand over cash for this stuff that I'm already learning from you? What else
0: are you going to teach me? Yeah, great question, Madison. There are opportunities to get content from us for free, and there always will be. I grew up in a small farm town in the middle of western New York with access to very little resources with parents who couldn't afford bonus resources and so we will always provide free support for folks like that so that I as a little kid could have had access to this so my parents could have had access to this. That That's going to be a non-negotiable for us all the time. This is an opportunity to dive deeper. So often what you hear from us are maybe 45 minute episodes on one topic or another. We're gonna take what this really looks like in real life and dive even deeper. Instead of skimming the surface on a bunch of little things, we're gonna take a deep dive so that we can set up so that on Friday night we're really looking at like, how did you get here? What were you raised with? What are you coming to adulthood with? What are you, What's your partner or your co-parent coming to adulthood with? What is the past that brought us to this place? And then on Saturday, we're diving into, all right, now how's that showing up in your everyday life now? What's this looking like with your tiny humans in your partnership, in your life? What's your day-to-day and how do we then workshop number two on Saturday, how do we structure a system that better supports your everyday life? A system where you aren't waking up feeling overwhelmed day to day, a system where you're saying, okay, I re- not only do I know the tools because I've heard them all on the podcast all that jazz, but I have a system now where I feel like I am ready to implement those tools. I think a lot of times we are consuming these materials and this information and we don't necessarily know how to put it into practice. We are going to get down and dirty on what that looks like from an implementation standpoint. And we also, one of my favorite things about this mama's getaway that tell is me, new. please tell me. Oh, I'm so jazzed. We have a lunchtime panel. We have a developmental psychologist. We have an occupational therapist, not just any, but my favorite. You may have heard her on the podcast twice because I love her so much. And we have a wellness-driven mama who supports folks in postpartum. She works with folks who are struggling with postpartum depression and anxiety. And from the physical aspect, she's also a trainer. So we are trying to cover all of our bases here. And of course, you gal on this lunchtime panel where everybody gets to ask their in-depth question of different experts in the field of early childhood.
3: Not to be dramatic, but this sounds like your dream come true. How do I sign up? I'm going to Seed & So, walk me through it.
0: I am ready. My checkbook is open. For sure. You don't even have to go to Seed & So. You can just go to mamasgetaway.com and snag your tickets there. You also have the option If you just are coming for Saturday, to add on a bonus, Saturday night we're doing a cocktail hour where you get to connect with all these other moms who are going to be there throughout the weekend. And you know what's cool? Our last mama's getaway, those mamas still chat, still hang out, still connect with each other. They're still in each other's village. And something outrageous that happened that I didn't even anticipate. Oh my god, what? Some of the dads got together after the last one. They're even connecting over this stuff now too. And guys, I can't wait to support you with the tools to truly change your life because I've seen it change others' lives. It's changed my life. And when it changes yours, it gets to change your kiddos too.
3: Babe, I'm sold. Cause the only thing I care about more than my kids is making lifetime improvements of myself while
0: also making friends with other moms. I loved the outcomes of the last one, and I can't wait to hug you in real life at this Mama's Getaway weekend. October 18th and 19th, Gloucester, Massachusetts. Carpool, find your best friend, or meet your new mama best friend. Snag your tickets at mamasgetaway.com. Snacks. snacks we got so many questions about snacks when how often what to do when they're requesting snacks instead of more food at a meal time Mm -hmm. how do we balance like are they hungry but we're gonna eat in an hour
1: all that jazz so yeah, I think snacks are a really tricky thing. I think there are some people who are organically more grazers than they are sit-down meals. So it takes kind of knowing your child, you're right there, yeah, you, yeah. Um, I think it just takes like knowing your child as a unique individual, like how are they as an eater? And if they're a grazer, I think as long as it's being offered like real food instead of like, you know, constantly a parade of goldfish and Oreos, then they, I don't think that there's really anything wrong with that if that's who they are. But if your child is like, I'm going to pass on lunch, and in 20 minutes, I'm going to ask for a snack, what I would, I mean, what I do is I would, I say to Alice, I'm like, sure, you can have a snack, but this is your one snack until dinner time, and dinner time is not till this. And so I do offer her a snack, but I, and I let her control when we have it, but I have her understand that this is her option until dinner time. And I will say, I do cut her off about an hour and a half before dinner. I'm like, no, we're going to be eating in a while because if you eat that snack, you're not going to be hungry for dinner. And, you know, and so I try to give her some control, but then I also try to set her up for success when it comes for dinner. Um, I know one thing that um, I have done and I think I've offered to, I suggested to people is your child's like starving for dinner cut up veggies and leave them on the counter being like, you can munch on those while I'm cooking dinner. Because again, it's, they're filling up on real stuff that you probably were going to offer with dinner anyway. And you're still giving them an option to eat.
0: Oh, I love that. I love offering, I think when we think of snack food, so often it's like processed food or Convenient um, stuff, yeah. yeah, totally. Which makes total sense. It absolutely does. And, and I think like there's space for that too. One thing, Rachel, our sleep consultant, her daughter has a lot of dietary challenges, a lot mm-hmm. of allergies. And so they have to be really intentional about food. And she created both in her fridge and in her cupboard, Snack bins that she can go grab. So sometimes it's like reusable Ziplocs that just have a snack amount of whatever veggies or fruits or things that she and she knows like if she needs a snack, she can say, Mom, can I have a snack? She's like, Sure, go into your bin. Like mm-hmm. that's
1: it. And that's awesome. It's like she's not the process step, but she's setting herself up for easy success and her daughter is having that independence and control.
0: Totally. And then she was like, I just got sick of hearing like, Can I have a snack 18 times a day? And then feeling like, And now I have to go cut up veggies if I want this to be a quote unquote healthy snack or something that's going to fuel her body that like the things that were easiest to grab in the moment Mm -mm. aren't usually the whole foods. Totally. And she's like, so sitting down like at the beginning of the week and like preparing a bunch of these little baggies or whatever, just made it so that our week went so much easier.
1: Absolutely.
4: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilled Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
5: Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a really cool idea. That's
1: a really, I heard people doing that and it's something that I think is a really great it's just it's so great it's just such a great thing because again it gives the children the control and then it's also making your life a whole lot easier and it does require maybe taking 20 minutes on a saturday or a sunday and cutting the carrot sticks or washing the grapes or hard boiling the eggs or whatever you're offering your child but then they have this you have something you can grab and go and they have something that they can go to and they're like that is your your snack bin right there or your snack basket or whatever you want to have and you can all feel good about the situation together i think it's a brilliant thing to do
0: and I think so often we're like, oh, I don't have the time to do that. But you're gonna do, you're gonna put that time in somewhere. It's either gonna be in the moment, and you're gonna be stressed about it when you're trying to do other things, and you've been asked for a snack three times, mom, mom, mommy, mom, 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 I'm hungry, mom, mom. And then you're like, oh my god, I'll give you a snack. Here's a whatever. Or you're gonna spend the time front loading. Or oftentimes we talk about this in, in terms of pre-teaching, where we're spending that time up front giving kiddos something or or like investing into our future self.
1: <laughs> well, and I absolutely agree with you. I think I hear that a lot with like food prep and meal prep. I think people find that really daunting and I, I absolutely get it because who wants to take up like, I think people when they think of food prep and meal prep, they envision six hours on a Sunday afternoon and then there goes like a good chunk of their weekend. Um, one thing that I think is really helpful is just like setting a time of being like, I'm going to meal prep for 20 minutes. No matter what I get done, as long as I stay focused in that 20 minutes, it's going to help future me. You know, again, the cutting up of the vegetables, the fruit throwing some muffins into the, the oven that can cook and you can pull out real quickly, doing something. So you're like, I have 20 minutes until I'm going to leave for that movie. I'm going to do something that's going to be really helpful for my family and set me up for success later on.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. And uh, working in school, both an infant toddler and preschool pre-K, we would get, uh, I've had families throughout the years who did a lot of like muffin situations it would be like, they would make a batch at the beginning of the week and then freeze them. Mm-hmm toss them in a lunch bag or a snack bag or whatever. And yeah, it took time over the weekend to like prepare the muffin tin. But then throughout the week
1: when life is so
0: busy often for so many folks, uh, they didn't have to think about it.
1: Absolutely. And it really, you you find that, again, that investment of your time to really pay off to a less stressful situation, um, options that you're happier with, with what your family might be eating or even yourself.
0: Yeah. And it can even be cost efficient where you're like, no, I'm not grabbing stuff on the go.
1: You now, grabbing stuff on the go, you're less likely to hit, like, some takeout because you're too, like, tired or, like, for kids' lunches, I know you're less likely to maybe buy some a school lunch, which, you know, like, there's nothing wrong with buying a school lunch. But if you're like, I want to send, send lunches, like, you, it's going to be easy to throw them all together. Right. And you have everything prepared. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So you touched on this a little bit, but is there anything about like, limiting sweets and junk food to develop a healthy relationship with food? So someone had asked, what if my kid all day long like barely eats anything, but it was a night where we were going to have like a birthday and there was going to be cake and they want the cake now, or they're going to have the ice cream or the treat or whatever, and they haven't really eaten anything that would fuel their system all day, but now they have this treat.
1: Oh, that's such a tricky thing. Okay, so... I guess one thing that I've always like I try to approach is I try to talk to my child about it. I'd be like, okay, like it's, it's, it's my, you know, it's a family birthday and we're going to have cake later. And I've always been honest with Alice about like why we don't have You know, tons and tons of sugar in our life. I'm like, because you know, it makes you feel a certain way. And not only does it like not fuel you in an appropriate way, but it, you know, makes you feel a certain way. Like, notice how you feel. And she actually, at the, she's gonna be eight this weekend actually. And I know, she's like, I'm eight years old, I'm so big. But she actually has that relationship now where, we go to somebody else's birthday party and I don't stop her from having cupcakes, I don't stop her from having ice cream, but she will actually now be like, I had too much sugar, my stomach doesn't feel good and I feel jittery, like she understands how too much sugar makes her feel. And so I might even say to her, be like, we're having sugar later, if that's all you have to eat, you're not gonna feel maybe that great later, I'm just gonna throw that out there. And I don't want her to be afraid, but I do want her to have that awareness. Um, And again, that's taken a while for us, like setting that up and doing a lot of teachable moments and talking. But that's how we approach that piece of it. For us, like if we are like, we are planning on having ice cream as a family after dinner. I try to never have dessert be the reward. I don't want to put more emphasis on the fun food, as I call it. Like that's a better food, you know, like you have to suffer through your dinner to get that. If it's on the menu for us, it's on the menu for her too. And that might mean if like your child is constantly avoiding dinner so that they can have ice cream, maybe – remove ice cream from your life for a little while, you know, until they get into better eating habits um, with the, with the other foods that you want them to fuel themselves on. Um, I know one thing that I do with the muffin tin meal, and this was, this is kind of my exception to you can have more if you want to, is if I was going to offer dessert, I would offer it as part of the muffin tin. And if that's all she ate, I'd be like, sorry, that's, we only had like one cookie for every person. I'm so sorry, sweetie. You ate yours already? the dinner is now like what you have left to eat. Um, so that'd be my one exception. But then when you serve it with the meal, it takes away the power of it being like the special food, the end of the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, um, and puts less emphasis on it being a forbidden fruit, um, if you will.
0: Yeah, no, I love that so much. Do we offer children or give children multivitamins? Do they need them?
1: Oh, okay. Again, I'm not an expert on it. We don't do multivitamins in our house, mainly because, and I have no research to back this up, but I feel like if she's getting it through a vitamin, her body's not going to naturally crave it through her foods. Again, Hmm. and I don't have any research to support that. I think that there is a time and a place for vitamin if your child is really a selective eater because of like texture issues or they're going through a phase. Um, But I think if you do it, really research who is providing that, you know, there's a lot of iffy stuff in a lot of multivitamins for children. Um, A lot of them have a ton of sugar, which again, isn't the worst thing in the world. But um, I think it just takes, it takes like kind of looking at your child as a unique individual and how much they're eating and deciding whether that is something you need to supplement their diet with.
0: I honestly had never thought of like, oh, if we're putting it into our body in a multivitamin, my body won't crave it.
1: And again, I have no research, but that's just like a thought that in my head.
0: It makes total sense. I just never thought of it that way. I love that. (laughs) Um, Even just helpful for me as an adult to think about. Um, Okay. We got some elimination diet questions around like kids who have allergies and now you're going through an elimination diet to figure out what's going on, et cetera. So A, how to explain it to a preschooler. Will it affect her future relationship with food in an unhealthy way? And then any recommendations or suggestions on resources for elimination diets for kiddos?
1: Okay. So elimination diets, I think it depends on like if you're trying to, you know, kind of, I think if like, I'm thinking of dairy or wheat, those are two two that seem to be like a big, or eggs, those seem to be the ones that I hear a lot of children having eliminated. Um, I think part of it is like having an honest conversation, especially with preschoolers about like dairy. Like I will say, um, like, you know, let's say removing dairy, being like, you know what, honey, I know you loved those cheese sticks in your lunchbox, but I'm not sure if they're really like making you feel very good. So we're going to try something else in your lunchboxes. So like maybe saying to them, you know, let's let's think of something, let's go out to the grocery store and find something that we can put in your lunchbox other than the cheese stick. Having that conversation, like not overdoing it, like maybe like as you're making your meal plan, being like, okay, we're gonna remove the dairy from like our dinner and breakfast menu, but then having that open conversation of like we're going to try, we're just going to try it and we're going to see how you feel. And I know generally people say like two weeks to 30 days is how long you really need to have that elimination to, um, to really see if it has a positive or negative effect on your body, whether that is something that you need to explore. Um, So I think having, again, just opening that door for conversation, but then not over talking it and just kind of doing the work on the sidelines, resources for how to do it. I feel like i don't have like a good book i think there are so many amazing dietitians out there in the in the internet space that have great valuable ideas i feel like there's an there's a blog for every kind of elimination (laughs) that if you need like we need an egg-free egg-free baking or egg-free lifestyle you will find somebody who has made tons of egg-free things um i do try to recognize that there are a lot of allergens in the world and so i try to include modifications in my own recipes as much as I can and with confidence that they'll turn out (laughs) well. (laughs) Um, I do mostly a gluten-free, I do, I did a lot of dairy-free. We are highly, we are mostly a dairy-free family. Um, And so I always try to offer those in my own recipes, but I think just kind of like hitting the internet and finding places that will have the resources for how to feed your family based on your own unique needs is really fortunate to have that these days. So nice. And I think I,
0: I think because there's so much fear around like, are we creating this healthy relationship with food as diet culture is like a hot topic now? Uh, I think actually teaching kids about food, about the fact that everybody's body is different in the same way that in so many other ways, like we all learn differently. We have so many different things that, are unique to us Mm -hmm. and what happens in our body with food is also unique to us. Absolutely. And I think we can present that to them so that they can learn like, oh yeah, it's not healthy for a mom's body to have gluten, but it doesn't affect my body. Oh Uh, yeah. You know, to like really just break that down so that it's not presented as like something we're not talking about, but instead something that we're normalizing as like, yeah, it's a bummer sometimes when there's mac and cheese at a place and I can't have it because I can't have dairy. Um, it's just not healthy for my body or it doesn't feel good in my body. Actually, Rachel's daughter who has these allergies, just this morning, we were on a call because there's um, like a prize thing at her school. She's in preschool. Uh, it's a whole conversation for another day, but it's like <laughs> a reward thing for emotions. And in this reward bin, there are some food choices like dum-dum lollipops or whatever and her daughter pointed out to her like mom sometimes kids get to have this when they pick from the prize bin but there's nothing that won't upset my stomach and she was like, okay, I can send some things in that can be in, that can be for you that wouldn't, but she just knows at this point, like there are some foods that other people can have, but that will upset my stomach and that I, I can't think, have.
1: I think, yeah, I think one thing is like, we need to give kids more credit about what they are willing to understand. We just have to take that time to kind of explain it to them on their level. And I think that when you do break it down, I'm like, hey, you know, you're right. I do like, I do have an itchy rash every time I have dairy because like, a lot of kids, it's it. Will bring out eczema in them, or will provoke an eczema? I do, I do get really itchy. Yeah, I, that's not worth it to me. I don't want that dairy. Or um, I know some children. There's a lot of talk about um, artificial food dyes having impacts on children. And uh, I, you know, you're right. When I have that lollipop that has that's bright blue, I do feel out of control. I don't feel like I can make the choices I want to make. Uh, or what you know, whatever your child's unique thing is, like giving them some credit, having that conversation with them. And Bravo to is it Rachel? Is that what mm-hmm. her name was? Being like, you're right, you can't, but let's find an alternative for you. And I think that makes it so much easier for children to have that positive relationship for food where it's that lollipop's not off the table for them. But this one, you know, but the, but here's, an, here's, a, here's a better alternative or here's an alternative that you will enjoy that'll be a good choice for your body.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it so much. And I think, I think it really does come from this place of fear where we're like, we don't want to talk about food too much because we're worried about creating this relationship around food. But I think that's actually the key to intuitive eating is to teach us to listen to our bodies and like, how does it feel when I eat this thing? Absolutely. Uh, Like, I think that is the key. (laughs) So yeah, I I think let's have more conversations with these kiddos. You actually, this is awesome that you guys are largely dairy free because uh, one of the last questions was about dairy. Someone mm-hmm. was looking for alternatives to dairy that they can incorporate in everyday life. If you want to throw a few of those out there.
1: Uh, well, I mean, you, like there are so many great, um, you know, vegan cheeses out there. I can't remember the one it starts with an M Mayoki. I know that one's like a really good one that you can melt really easily. I don't know how accessible it is. I feel like it's kind of a new brand. I feel like you can do coconut yogurts or almond milk yogurts. Um, I know the minimalist baker has a really great recipe for a homemade coconut yogurt that I've made several times. It's really really simple. If you can get your hands on some full fat coconut milk. Let's see. And again, I think that there are like there are, you know, oh, nutritional yeast is one that you can use a lot instead of like parmesan, like nutritional yeast. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's like, it's like, it's like, it looks like a yellow flake powder. It's actually not like a, if it's, if you're gluten-free, you can still have that, but it kind of gives like a cheesy flavor to things. Mm-hmm. I've used it in recipes before because um, it really, like if you mix it with avocado, it like really gives like almost like a cheese sauce to it. It's a lot of vegan people, vegan, vegan people. I don't like the word vegan people, but people who eat vegan, <laughs> there we go. People who eat vegan will tend to eat that because it's a, um, a dairy free way to kind of have that cheesy flavor. Um, like I have a dairy free mac and cheese that uses that and butternut squash to make the sauce. And so, yeah. Um, Sweet. So I think those are probably my go to alternatives for, for dairy right there.
0: Awesome. And then the very last question that we have here you're crushing it, sister. Oh, thank the, you. you. You are yes. welcome. <laughs> the very last question that we have here is about food. And boundary setting around meal times, like playing with their food, but maybe not eating it, and or the same person um, popped in like an addendum of like kids getting up from the table, going and play, coming back to eat um, at meal times, and like boundary setting around
1: that. Okay, so okay, with playing with food, let's start with that. I think playing with food is great. Children are still exposing themselves to food. Even if they're not eating it, they're touching it, which is half the battle. I'm sure lots of parents will say, like, I just want my kid to touch it. So let them play. I mean, as long as they're not, like, flinging it across the table or, like, you know, whatever. Like, let them, have, it's, it's, a, it's a good opportunity for them to get, like, okay with that food. As far as, like, getting up and leaving the table, I think that a lot of that depends on the child. And I think, again, this comes along with patients, if it's like a two-year-old being like, you know, nope, we're gonna sit at the table. They get up, walk away, nope, it is dinner time right now. We're gonna sit down. You don't have to eat, but we're sitting, and maybe even having a timer, having something being like, we're gonna sit for 10 minutes together, maybe having music on if that's gonna help them to stay focused. I would not recommend TV. I would I mean, I personally do I think it's when you have TV on, it distracts them and it creates, you know, I think dinner is a beautiful time together as a family. That again, each their own. You all, know, everyone's working with unique circumstances. Um, you know, if they are older, if they're preschoolers, being like, nope, we are going to sit for ten to fifteen minutes as a family, and then dinner is done and dinner will be removed from the table. Um, I think that that can be like letting children know, like, okay, if you choose to get up and leave the table fifteen times at seven thirty, dinner is not going to be an option anymore. There are no more food choices for the evening, and again, nobody loves the idea of sending their kid to bed hungry, but if your child has been given a heads up and they've they, they have made their choice and then they are hungry, one night of being hungry, like breakfast is not that far away in my opinion. They're not gonna starve to death. It's uncomfortable, we don't love it as a parent. You know, I think as parents, it's we hate the idea of our child being hungry, but if they have been given that heads up, they're old enough to understand having that follow through and having them understand that you really mean it, that dinner time is a certain framework, can be very impactful for them making a different choice the next day.
0: Totally. And that should be our expectation too. We talk a lot about expectations Mm. and boundary setting, that if you expect to set the boundary and for your kid to go, okay, I can't wait to follow it, you're probably going to be wrestling with some disappointment at the end of this. But instead, if you expect like, I'm gonna set a boundary and they're probably gonna push it to see if it's real. You might find yourself re- more uh, like kind of ready to hold it there, like Absolutely. prepared, I guess, to hold the boundary. And then the next night, they might try it again. They might push that boundary again and say, Was that a fluke last night? Is still a rule?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and I think it really is. You have to like remind yourself that is it's like they you were give, as long as they know what the the consequence of that is, like what the outcome is. I think it's always important for children to know what's going to happen so they can make an informed choice. Like you shouldn't just be like, okay, well dinner's gone, you know, like you didn't leave. But if you have let them know and they still made that choice, you're right. They might push it again, but creating that expectation because when you give in. You're setting yourself up for okay so sweet i just have to like leave the table 20 times and then she won't make me eat it and i'll get a snack later on or i need to leave it 30 times or i have to sit there and cry and scream or whatever like you know I- absolutely we're on the same page (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and you know what they might it might be steady for a while
0: Mm -hmm. and then your partners traveling and they're like oh is this still the rule when they're gone is this the rule when there's a new baby here is this the rule when I have a new school and I'm feeling dysregulated like it's their job to push it and see if it's real
1: it is and really trying to get on the same page as your partner or whoever is part of you know, if it's grandparents or you guys have a nanny or like really being like, this is something we're working on right now. It really, it's really important to me that you have the same expectation because, and that is really hard. I get that often a lot with grandparents, especially who want to be like, they just kept sticking them cookies. Like I can't, I can't. (laughs) And I think it's, and I think it's hard when, I think it's really hard when it's your, when, when it's parents like doing something different with your child because they're your parents or your, your partner's parents. Um, but kind of like really trying to make, trying to encourage everyone to be on board and explain to them why this is an important thing that you're trying to have follow through with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. And for if we have way, we have a whole episode on parenting with grandparents in your village. If people want to tune into that, we'll pop that into the blog post as well. We go in depth on like ways you can navigate those conversations that don't necessarily put the other person on the defensive.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, yeah. Cool, sister. Where can people follow you, connect with you, tune into all your things? Because you're awesome.
1: Oh, thanks. Well, I am The Natural Nurturer across the board, The Natural Nurturer on Instagram, which is where I tend to hang out. Um, uh, Facebook, my blog is The Natural Nurturer, where I share all of my veggie loaded recipes that are family friendly. And they're not just for kids, they're for everybody who's working on getting more vegetables into their life in in an easy way.
0: Love it. Thank you so
1: much for hanging out. Thanks for having me, Alyssa.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow: colon, Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars, and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you.
6: No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack.